0: This episode is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. Struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or for your own personal pre-ordering needs? If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by our resident reader Liberty Hardy, from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores, or find your next favorite read. Go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up. That's insiders.bookriot.com.
1: This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 304, recording on Thursday, March 14th, 2019. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. We, 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 the... the the undercurrent of spring oh, is yes. in the, the air.
0: The daffodils are up in mm, Richmond. Mm. Some of the redbud trees have already budded. That's it nice. Is, like, the birds are singing. My windows have been open until this very moment. Mm-hmm. It is lovely.
1: Yeah. March Madness on the horizon. Mm-hmm. I got my scooter out. It's plugged in. It's ready for <laughs> um, the, the the unique freedom. Of personal mobility, electrified, personal personal mobility. <laughs> so things are taking a turn. The wind um, in your hair.: oh. Yeah, summer books se- you know, summer reading season is on the horizon we're only six weeks away from sort of our moms, dads and grads time of year. Um, are we gonna do a recommendation show? I think for we that? are. Which I was yeah. just thinking,
0: wow, six weeks is really good notice to give people, and also much more than we usually. No, <laughs> yeah,
1: more like get it in so, the next seventy-two hours. Yeah.
0: On that note, if you want a rec for moms, dads, or grads sometime in or late whatever, May, you, or yeah. for yourself for summer, you can email us at podcast at bookriot and we'll start holding on to those.
1: <laughs> start looking at those. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. Um, speaking of um, listeners emailing us, got some good Booker Prize naming feedback from a variety of people with a variety of levels of care about the booker. (laughs) I'll start with the people that really care. All right. Um, They seem to be saying, we didn't get a huge amount of feedback, but they seem to be like grudgingly okay with Crankstart sponsoring it and especially glad that Crankstart is not not requiring (laughs) their name be put on it. Um, They would, it sounded like, and again, people, I didn't really ask people to, to differentiate this way. It sounded like they would rather have a British company than American nonprofit, which I thought was interesting. That um, is interesting. Hmm. That the the nationalism mattered more than the where they stood on the the capitalist scale. Um, a couple people said that a good you know like the kind of thing they think would work would be like Jaguar, which is you know a high end as you know a high end mm-hmm. British automobile company. Um, that sounds fine. To me, we, de- we had some fun in the contributor slack then um, joking about the worst possible sp- <laughs> <laughs> sponsors for the Booker Prize. I think the NRA Booker Prize was definitely right. up there as a bad Tinder, one.
0: Tinder, the Tinder Booker Prize. Yeah, the
1: Tinder. Yeah, that's a bad one. I suggested the Facebooker. Prize, which got a lot of groans and also would be very bad
0: it's like a day you had a horrible headache and you got out of bed to make that joke
1: yes i did i had actually taken the day off because i have one of my semi-embezzled vertigo i was like i had to type this (laughs) this can't stay in my fingers show titles um so yeah there we go and i guess that's really it um on the whole met with gladness that there's a sponsor gladness that the name isn't going to be something bad gladness is a nonprofit but then a twinge maybe maybe a slightly more than a twinge What's it go a pinch a, what's is bigger a pinch, a or, skosh? A skosh? Sure, a pinch or a dash scotch sure is a pinch or a dash bigger in cooking this i honestly don't know this
0: uh i'm not sure i don't know All that right. there is actually a technical difference
1: Okay, podcast or book? Maybe com. it's just
0: yeah. Let us know.
1: People don't care about cooking. They won't. People don't know.
0: <laughs> people care about cooking, but if you're in the realm of a pinch versus a dash, you're already in the realm of like imprecision and mm-hmm. sort of improvisational.
1: Yeah, cooking so. or um, they cared to taste about. Let's say about yes. how much that it, they wanted to be British. I actually think also the Commonwealth thing people did not suggest, like Australian Indian mm-hmm. companies, mm-hmm. Um, which I think is. I don't know it means anything, but I thought it was kind of interesting. People didn't think, like, Canadian companies or anything like that. So here's where we are. For the next five years, it's going to be the Booker Prize, uh, and the, the cash dollars is coming from Crankstart. And that looks like it's going to be all that's different Yeah, uh, for the foreseeable future. So, all right, before we get on to the rest of the week, in What's New Cool, we're talking about the Book Read, let's do a sponsor, a cool sponsor. It's Mem by Bethany Morrow. In Jazz Age, Montreal, an underground vault imprisons living memories. Known as MEMS, these physical clones of other people are doomed to experience a single memory over and over. Lacking thoughts of their own, MEMS expire inside the vault. That is, except for one 19-year-old MEM, Dolores Extract N1, who shocks the world with the capacity to make her own memories. With the help of the doctor who created her, Dolores is released from captivity and establishes an independent life until she is suddenly summoned back to the vault. There, she searches for answers and must confront the ultimate truth. Is she human or not? This Mem by Bethany Morrow from Unnamed Press. Some thinky sci-fi out there for you. Check out Mem out now wherever you get your books. Excellent. All right. Uh well it's uh actually so we thought we had a light agenda then I started dropping some <laughs> stuff in and there's actually quite a bit here didn't you think like yeah there uh, were suddenly? no
0: like major book news no. stories of the week um, but this is a lot of interesting potpourri for sure
1: okay I think this is the biggest news of the week and it it kind of got um underplayed by the book you know the book uh journalism world such as it is Amazon made a change in third-party seller pricing policy. So that sounds really boring, but <laughs> Amazon has long had this um, policy where if you're a third-party seller, so if I wanted to sell... Well, like a book writer wants to sell physical um, copies of, say, uh, Start Here, old, the book we, we crowdfunded, and I've got a few copies. If we wanted to sell them through Amazon, not fulfilled by Amazon, like stocked by Amazon, that we would fulfill ourselves, but listed on Amazon... We had then to make that the same price on Amazon as we would have on, like, say, uh, BookRiotStore.com, where people could buy us buy it from us. So if it was nineteen dollars on our store, it had to be nineteen dollars on Amazon, even though we've got to get Amazon a fair cut, right? Yes. Like there's there's a cost associated with. It. So it was always, you you couldn't then under, you couldn't make up the difference by saying charging sixteen dollars on my site and nineteen dollars on Amazon to charge to make up for the Amazon fees. So it was a way of Amazon, frankly, making it no better to shop from the the, the third-party site directly. Like There's no difference. You're going to get a better... The same deal as a customer from Amazon, even though you're taking a bit of a bath as the third-party seller. And this has been true for a long, long time. And there's been a lot of criticism from politicians and sellers and, and, the, and the basically the world at large saying this isn't fair. This is the kind of thing a monopoly does, which is, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm in the middle on the Amazon as a monopoly versus non-monopoly thing, but this is one of the things that a monopoly would do is like use its pricing power and platform power to determine what your price is on other platforms. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of thing we do not invasive. like to see. So I'm glad to see this change. I think one place this really affects the book world especially is in the self published arena, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of self publishing, self published titles happen on Amazon and Kindle. And self publishers, one of the things they have to do is market. And one thing they know to do is to try to get their own email list, so on and so forth. It would be better for them if you bought your four ninety nine their four ninety nine ebook from their store versus Amazon, but it's even better if it's better for them if they can charge three ninety nine on their right. store. Versus Amazon. I think, I mean, the math here is um, subject to a lot of different things. But in general, they would still prefer to buy it for cheaper from them than to sell it on Amazon, I think. Is that your understanding? Do I have this basically turned around the right way, Rebecca? Yeah, I think so. I think that's
0: right in terms of um, in the world of books and reading. I do think it's self-published authors that are most likely to be affected by this directly. And that's not only because there are already tricky Amazon rules in place about, like, if you publish exclusively to Amazon, you get a higher cut than Mm -hmm. if you publish your book in Amazon and make it available for sale in other places. So let's assume that these self-published authors who are choosing to publish in multiple places, they've already decided they get a lower cut from Amazon since they're also selling on say like Barnes and Noble and their right. own personal websites and whatever else. Um, they, right. It gives them control of the product. So if they have imagined a list price for their book of, you know, $8.99, um, they can now list it as eight ninety nine dollars on Amazon. But, um, you know, $7.99 or $6.99 on their own site. They get to keep all of that $6.99 on their own site. If they sell it for $8.99 on Amazon, Amazon takes a cut. They walk away with a little bit less, but it gives them control of the product. Um, I think that's right. I am I need to go back. I think we did the the Google at some point about um, how many used books are sold in Amazon because when when Amazon was doing the monkeying around with the buy button so that sometimes it might prioritize the buy button to go to a third-party seller and instead of coming from like straight from Amazon Mm -hmm. or from the publisher we were wondering how much that uh, how much that will affect used book sales and used book buyers. If you buy a lot of used books from Amazon I'll be curious if you notice any Differences from this, or perhaps you're listening to this and you sell a lot of books on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, We would love to know about that. The most interesting, or I guess surprising piece to me here, and I don't know if I've just been living under a rock or not thinking about really the prevalence of third party sellers on Amazon, is the note that third party sellers account for half of all the Amazon items sold. Um, I don't know if that's true inside the category of books. Like that's an average, right? So Mm -hmm. um, it could be that. 75% of vacuums come from third party sellers and only 12% of books come from third party sellers. But I would really love to know, um, for the purposes of this show and and our interests, how it shakes out. And uh, that would lead to being able to ask some interesting questions and maybe get some interesting guesses about what this will do um, to books and reading and Overall, the overall health and like placement of Amazon in publishing, and mm. how, what this change will do to that.
1: Yeah, another note in this article. This is on the street. There's a link in the show notes, as there always is, um, that there's been price parity in the UK and Germany for six years already. Yeah. Um, from because there was governmental pressure about investigations into the practice. Um, you know, this is one thing that being more on the capitalist side of the spectrum, the U.S behind makes it a seem a value judgment but they're not the US government is not as aggressive in policing business practices and that's mm-hmm. that's a wild understatement <laughs> but this is one of those situations where it really is brought home that price parity has been the law of the land in the UK and Germany for 6 years mm-hmm. and it's taken this long um, for it to happen here so um, there there's also some intimation that this is trying to lessen or address or get ahead of political pressure to investigate Amazon under antitrust laws. Yeah. So maybe they're trying to divest the more egregious of the business practices in hope of like, you know, throwing a little chum to the sharks yeah, and a little nothing be to see here, folks. Um but it does show that even that amount of pressure got them to change this. And it makes me this is always one of those things. If you're willing to change this. Not so quickly, but so readily, without a formal investigation. What are you protecting, right? <laughs> like, what is it that you don't want to throw over the side of the boat? Oh boy, uh, to the shark. So you know, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure either. Since we're in the realm of Amazon changing things in response to pressure, I think maybe mm-hmm. we can jump down to a story yeah. that's closer to the bottom of uh, of our list here, but only, I think, by virtue of got having gotten bumped by other mm-hmm. things. Earlier this week, Amazon uh, removed from its online marketplace books promising an autism cure. Um, these books unscientifically claim that children can be cured of autism with pseudoscientific methods like ingesting and bathing <sighs> in potentially toxic forms of bleach and taking Medication that was meant to treat arsenic and lead poisoning. Amazon confirmed that the books, Healing the Symptoms Known as Autism, it's one book, and Fight Autism and Win, is the other title, are no longer available, but they declined to answer specific questions about why it had removed them or whether this was part of a larger cleanup effort. Um, This piece, which is from NBC News, does note that the move came after a report that appeared in Wired that criticized Amazon for offering medically dubious books and dangerous methods for reversing autism spectrum disorder um i don't see a note about it in this piece but around the same time i started seeing links sort of circulating about a new study like kind of providing the definitive evidence that there is no link between vaccines and autism like this work Mm -hmm. has been being done and um, it's been noted many times that the the idea that vaccines cause autism is a is a mistake that attributes correlation to causation in that um, autism is often diagnosed around the same time as kids are given uh-huh. major vaccines or in that same vicinity. But there was a new study last week, and so I wonder if that big new study getting a lot of circulation led to increased discussion about this. Um, but. The this piece notes also like that Amazon has been responding to pressure about like why are you allowing these books to be sold on your platform uh, that are dangerous like functionally these are very dangerous um, and it. It seems to be of a piece with the pressure to other online platforms about the general issue of spreading misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook is talking about downranking misinformation about vaccines and hoaxes about vaccines. Pinterest is blocking all vaccine related search results. YouTube disabled anti vax videos last month. Amazon pulled an anti vax documentary from Prime. Uh, so there's a lot of discussion going on around this but an, another case of Amazon in particular but a large online platform removing something that they believe to be dangerous and I yeah. think um like we don't want to get into getting your emails about what you think about vaccines. Like, no. um, that's not what this is about. But we t- we've we talked many times about Amazon or other book retailers choosing not to carry certain books for whatever reason, um, either that they think it's damaging to their community, or they don't want to support an author who's been accused of sexual assault, or, you know, it's they find the content to be personally offensive. And so like, f- this is our semi-annual reminder that taking a book off circulation in one platform is not censorship. Um, But also, I think this is socially responsible. Um, Amazon and Facebook, like coming out of the 2016 election, Facebook did a lot of talking about how they're just the platform and they're not responsible for the information that people share on the platform. But I think we've learned that that is not... Uh, That's not an honest, (laughs) an intellectually honest statement. Well, you
1: can't be neutral, right? Like I think it's the old Chomsky. I guess the Mm -hmm. the the saying is like, if you're a company, or you know, if you traffic in platforms where people can list the the, people are you are promoting or providing a venue for things you yourself don't make. At some there is some line you have to decide to cross about what your company believes in, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just what has to happen. Either you say it's a wild free for all and anything goes. That's one one extreme. But then there's a line, if it's not that, then there is some line your company will decide Mm -hmm. this is beyond the line of what we're going to host. And I think it's a really difficult task that I'm not, I don't feel bad for Amazon or Facebook or these multi billion dollar corporations. Like, one reason you have a billion dollars is because you have hard problems you have to deal with. And this is a hard problem because, like, for me, vaccine is an obvious one, but I can see a lot, especially when it comes to medicine. Right? Mm-hmm. Where do you decide to actively delist something is a very difficult problem. For me, this kind of stuff makes sense. Yeah. But the, that that then you're saying there's a line somewhere, and suddenly you're the whole the whole catalog of things you lists are suddenly open to scrutiny, which I think they've been not wanting to do because right. they know what a can of worms... It, it's not a, it's it not is. not a can of worms. This is a black hole well, of worms. It's this a is real, wild stuff.
0: It is a It is a real messy conversation yes. to get into. I want to like be clear. I think it's better to be in the conversation and better in the yes. mess than avoiding the mess all together. Um, when there was a book riot piece about this and we posted it on Facebook, one of the comments that we got was like, OK, but they're still selling lots of book about books about fad diets. And right. I think that makes a really in, like that's a really interesting entry mm-hmm. into this debate because a lot of fad diets are dangerous as well to people's health and especially like a book that prescribes everyone should do the following things but doesn't yeah. take into account your individual makeup and health can be dangerous. It, and Amazon now is going to have to be doing the math about like what's more dangerous or what are we more concerned about? Like yeah. I think it's pretty obvious that suggesting that children should ingest bleach is worse than uh, or like you can die from ingesting bleach directly. Um, You can probably die as the result of devotion to complicated or dangerous Mm -hmm. diets as well too. But how do you make those guesses? Um, They're going to get some of them wrong. They're going to be criticized Mm. for some of them. I'm sure they're being criticized for, for this from some corners as well, but I'm heartened to see them enter that space and acknowledge that there is some responsibility there. Like I've been thinking about how um, like when Bob and my husband, Bob, when his financial advising practice throws events for clients, like a client appreciation event, if drinks are served, they are response. If, if someone like, so drinks are served. If someone gets in a car accident on the way home, mm. um, because they were intoxicated, leaving an event, the practice can be liable for yep. that happening. Um, and, That's, you know, that's legal, but it's also, even if it weren't, that's a social responsibility to, Mm -hmm. um, that's a legal issue, but if it weren't a legal issue, it's a social responsibility to keep people, to, to take steps to try to keep people safe. You don't serve people so much that they're going to get in their cars and cause car accidents on the way home. And Amazon here, I think, is considering that, that even if they're not doing something illegal by allowing these books to be sold, they feel perhaps a moral responsibility yeah. for for the potential consequences. If someone buys this book off Amazon and their kid feeds their kid bleach and the child gets ill or dies,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what responsibility does Amazon have there? It's not none.
1: Yeah. No, it's not none because they don't have to host everything. That's right. a choice they're making. Right. Like the, the choice they've made. I mean, this is kind of what makes Amazon, Amazon, right? Is come sell your stuff. There are no gatekeepers here. You can self-publish or whatever and put it out there. But I don't think—I think most of us wouldn't then agree, well, then, Amazon, it's not Amazon's fault. Well, it it is and it isn't, right? They've chosen to let everything through the gates. And so there is some responsibility to think that because they've made the choice to let everything through. That's what they—they could decide to be— you know, random house, right? Mm -hmm. Like they could be that we're going to be behind and we're going to put our names behind and we're going to at least, you know, know what's in a lot. I mean, Amazon can't know what's in all the books that are self-published on Amazon. It's impossible. I mean, I guess they could have machine like AI go through it, but it's not human readable to get through all this stuff and then make decisions about it. So where is the line? How are you going to have a process that you as a company can feel good about is extremely difficult. I mean, we have this situation with just with us, with the, the the fourteen posts we do a day. We have to make decisions about, you know, what we feel good about, what we want to do, and that's just fourteen posts a day from our little company. Like I, millions of self-published ISBNs. It's a scale that this never this is this is a problem that's never happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a surprise that it's probably slow. It's not a surprise that it's non-governmental. Like I think the other thing not to bury not to bury here. As if this was this was journalism, yeah. Wired. Right, that, just to remember that that the fourth estate is involved in a lot of these things. That the government is slow to get involved as in, it doesn't know about, but pressure can be brought to bear by journalism itself. And I think that's I, I want to shout out Wired mm-hmm. um, in this piece too. It's a really difficult problem, and I don't know how to get around it. I mean, just just to go, I mean, this is a little off the rails too, but I don't know if any of you out there read this piece. Maybe Rebecca, you did. I don't think we talked about it. About the moderator farms that Facebook runs? I did, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, talk about the consequences of letting anyone do anything. And, like, basically basically, Amazon and Facebook right now have the, the rule where you put they are going to assume you're fine posting something and then they have to come back after the fact. So people mm-hmm. post, I, I don't even want, cause there's like trigger warning and content warning stuff, but there's people whose full-time job is just to look at all the horrible stuff yep. that got flagged on Facebook and decide whether or not to ban the account, what action to take, if any. And you're looking, you know, eight hours a day looking at the worst of humanity. And that's Facebook's business decision. I don't know if it's right. I know it's wrong, but this is a consequence that they have to mm-hmm. deal with. Um, and this this vaccine one isn't quite as, I don't know, um, it's not quite as uh, exaggerated, it's not quite as wild as you know people watching videos of really horrible acts of violence and right. bigotry and whatever, but it's a piece of the same problem, which is uh, they don't have affirmative, um, they, they haven't affirmed mm-hmm. the value to the platform of the documents or the books or the comments or whatever. They err on the side of letting things through and then capture the stuff after the fact, which has wild consequences. And these are some of the wild ones. And at scale, things that can be abused will be abused. And this permissiveness is being abused to horrible costs to all corners of the industry. And I don't, I'm glad I'm not in this business. Like, that's what I'm, that's a long way of saying yeah. I'm glad I'm not in that kind of a business.
0: Yeah. It's really tricky. You know, the, the notes about these particular titles to come back to what amazon right. did in the specific case um, really lean heavily on like that this is unscientific and pseudoscientific and dangerous and it would be interesting i'm sure we'll never get to see the list but it would be interesting for amazon um, or for facebook or whoever to have an established list of sort of external principles for how do they make these decisions? Like if this is the first one, if this were taking these, these autism cure books off for the following reasons, Mm -hmm. um, how can they apply that framework to what else is in the marketplace that, um, that should potentially also be removed and how can they prevent new entries that carry those same features um, from being brought out?
1: Yeah, because really there's really not there's not like some external principle of like, what has science decided? I mean, even yeah, stuff I mean, like vaccines could, and global warming, like there's large consensus. But to my knowledge, there's not like a, I'd be I'd love to know if this is wrong, actually podcast at Like, is there some third party Amazon could go to to say, you know what science or this mm, group mm-hmm. of the American the AMA has said, this autism cure stuff is baloney. And we're going to trust their opinion. Because otherwise, Amazon has to be the medical right. professional.
0: Yeah. You know, I was thinking an interesting sort of adjacent story mm-hmm. for this is that um, a couple of states have begun banning conversion therapy, yeah. which claims to cure people of being gay and has been shown by a lot of psychological studies to be not only ineffective, but also to cause additional damage to people. And... um And the way that the states have gone about making those bans on Mm -hmm. conversion therapy in their jurisdictions is to lean on those studies. And so I wonder um, about something that can gather psychological studies, medical studies um, to put together a framework for making these decisions. I'll have to search Amazon because I'm genuinely... Not sure, um, like if Amazon is still selling books about how to cure yourself of being gay um, or how to cure someone else of being gay since mm. the all the studies of conversion therapy have shown that they don't work and are damaging um, and we've got states banning it. What is Amazon doing with that? I think would be an interesting question.
1: Yeah, it's the kind of thing that you wonder if it wouldn't be in the interest of, say, Amazon, Facebook, Google, you know, or I guess YouTube is Google, like these giant platforms that are looking for ways to sort of make systemic decisions about what's appropriate and not appropriate to form, like, to fund some sort of um, mm-hmm. almost like truth ombudsman or something. Right. Like, a, like Like a ProPublica, but, like, they're going to make some determinations about what practices are garbage and not garbage. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we're, Facebook and Google, we're, we're going to throw money at this thing to fund it. We're not going to be interested in what in the results, like what the results are are going to be, we're not trying to show one thing or the other, but we just know we want something to point at, say, you know what? We had this company, we had this organization look at, let's just use this autism thing. And their determination was this, and that means it meets our threshold Mm -hmm. to get it off. So that you can kind of systematize, you don't rely upon your own reactive recognizance to say, only when wired puts our feet to the fire, are we going to get this stuff off here, right? Right. I mean, I guess that's what I would be trying to think Yeah, I think
0: this is also part of a larger or I'm reading this as part of a larger recognition that the old way of insisting that platforms could be neutral um yeah. d- has not served us well right. allowing allowing people to think that facts are mutable <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> has not served us, has not served us well that like that what science knows about um about medicine and about cures or not cures for things, causes and not causes of uh, illnesses matters. The, the facts matter. And that they matter not only in the sort of political and social decisions that we, that we make, but in the decisions we make about how we take care of our bodies and our health and that ultimately can determine if we live or die, if we're talking mm-hmm. about ingesting bleach. Um, and that that is heartening to me as well. Like, let us acknowledge that facts are, in fact, a thing um, right. and come back around to platforms that are feeling responsibility for promoting for promoting and supporting discourse that can maybe be vehemently in opposition to each other, but that are grounded in, um, in reality and that don't create additional damage and danger by allowing misinformation to spread. Um, I hope that we'll see more steps in this
1: direction. Yeah, it's really, it's really tough. Um, why don't you do another sponsor that we All took right. more on that than yeah. we were really anticipating.
0: Lots to chew on there. Um, our next sponsor this week is Lola. If we care about the ingredients in the food we eat and the the beauty products we use, why shouldn't the same be true of period care products? Um, this is a question that Like, I research all of the stuff I put on my face personally, and I've never considered it for period Mm. care products. The FDA doesn't require brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients in their period care products, and so most of them don't disclose. Lola, however, offers complete transparency about the ingredients that are found in their tampons, pads, liners, and wipes. All of them are 100% organic cotton. There's no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. Plus, Lola has a customizable subscription, so you get to choose the mix of products, the mix of absorbency, the number of boxes, and the frequency of delivery. And you can even change, skip, or cancel at anytime. So if you're a person who has a period, you know that that can be, it can, you can need different things on different days. Um, Maybe you're taking a birth control pill where you only have a period every three months. And so you only need a delivery from Lola, Every three months, you can tell it, uh, you know, how many boxes you would like. Do you want them all to be light or all regular or customize a box with this many lights and this many regulars and this many supers? It's super, super customizable. You also get to choose between if you're using tampons, between plastic applicators, cardboard applicators, or no applicator. They have several pad options and liner options. It's you know, sort of just a full range of period care products in addition to wipes and some other sexual health items. Um, The website is super easy to use. I got to customize a box of products for myself. It was very straightforward and got delivered quickly, came right to my door. Again, it's great to know what you're putting into your body. This is a mm. nice segue from the previous Definitely. from the previous segment that these are 100% cotton, that the applicators are BPA free and so you can be worry free. I was really impressed with the service. If you would like to get 40% off all subscriptions, visit mylola.com and enter book riot when you subscribe. That's mylola, m y l o l a.com and enter book riot for 40% off all subscriptions.
1: Next story comes from the department of didn't we already know that, but (laughs) maybe we didn't. I don't know. So George R. R. Martin gave a little interview in advance of the final season of Game of Thrones, which is coming out. And he said, I think for the first time, direct quote, obviously I wish these books, I I, obviously wish I finished these books sooner. So the show hadn't gotten ahead of me. I never anticipated that. And he has mixed feelings about the, the ending coming out before his does. This, of course he feels this way. Uh, right. Right? But I think it's also notable that he said it out loud. Yeah. Or am I wrong, Rebecca? I no, mean, I think I don't it's know.
0: notable. Like, I have, I think that this is in the department of things we've been assuming. Yeah. Um, But we didn't know it because he hasn't acknowledged it. I think it's a little head scratchy how he never anticipated it. Like, the man does not write quickly. So I'm not sure how it's totally surprising to him that the show got out ahead of where he is with the books but I'm I think it opens an interesting part of the conversation for him to acknowledge. Yeah. You know like usually the tension when you have an adaptation of a book is Fans worrying that the adaptation won't be true to the book or that it won't feel the same way as the things they remembered or that the movie or the show won't have like the same scenes that they loved or
1: mm-hmm. whatever.
0: And this puts Martin in the flip situation of that. <laughs> yeah. of people will already have encountered one version of the story, which um, it seems here is Different in some ways from the mm-hmm. version that he intends to tell in the book, so like we know there are going to be some discrepancies, and people who love the show now have the opportunity to like get attached to what the show does, and then encounter yeah. the book. As uh, if the show is your canonical point of reference, then you'll encounter the books later and have. I, I guess, you know, you could decide, well, the book isn't the I liked what happened in the show. I don't like this happening in the book. I don't know if it's possible to to just see them as like two different branches of yeah. of the same story. Um, or maybe he's I don't know how much he's like I'm curious about how much of this is just man, I wish I could have been the one to write mm-hmm. the first ending and to get my version out there first, and how much of it might be like a little worry or insecurity that like his fans will like the version on the show better than what they get in the book. Or it could just be, I can't remember the name of the bias that's appropriate for it now, mm. but it could just be the, the awareness that like, we like the things we already have. Endowment and down effect. Yeah, right. We like yeah. the things we already have. And so when you get a different version of it, you're just less likely to like the second version. Yeah, um, It's a tough spot for him to be in.
1: I can think of no literary antecedent for this Mm -mm. condition where there is a major franchise that will have essentially two canonical versions. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think obviously the TV show more people will eventually watch than read the books. I think that's not in dispute, but that's true for every adaptation of a book or film. Mm -hmm. Right. But that doesn't mean that the film one is canonical. Historically, it's meant that the the thing that was first is canonical and the other one's an adaptation. Game of Thrones, season eight, is not an adaptation of Game of Thrones. Right. It's its own thing. It's its own it's, thing. It's its own thing. And and the whatever the last book will not be an adaptation of the last season of Game of Thrones. It's like a forking in a literary universe.
0: It's like a meanwhile, I think is the word. Yeah, or it's an phrase, A-B yeah. testing the universe. Yeah, like You get right.
1: two versions of it. And to, the only thing I can think of that's a—it's equi- not even equivalent. That's close is like there's, or especially early versions of some of the different Shakespeare's plays. We did mm. all annotated about this. They 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 vary in meaningful ways. I don't think it rises. To, it's been a while since I looked at them. I don't think it rises to the level of like the ending is different. Like there are different versions of Hamlet, but Hamlet get got you know, <laughs> and, and every version mm-hmm. of those, whereas. I guess I don't know that much about Game of Thrones, but who's going to basically win the Game of Thrones and be on the Iron Throne at the end? Assuming that someone is, you could have two different characters in both uni- mm-hmm. or, or both versions of this ending of Game of Thrones be on that. And that will be a wild cultural cognitive dissonance that yeah. I don't know we've had to live with before yeah, I don't know in either. any meaningful way.
0: This vulture piece notes that like one of the possible things here is that George R.R. R. Martin could change his plans for the book after he sees what happens on the show. Yeah. He hasn't read the scripts yet. Or he could resurrect someone who died on the TV show, but bring them back in the books and make them important in his version like just because he can. Yeah. <laughs> and like there's infinite possibilities of ways that he could branch out um and do things differently he has two books to go i know Um, and that it's 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 not
1: it's not like we're that close either
0: no if you're i'm really dying to hear from game of thrones fans about this like um in general your are are you are, are you able to hold do you feel like you're holding the books and the tv show as separate experiences and like after you see the end of the TV show, are you still going to go read the books, knowing that they will be different? Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are you hoping, expecting? Like, this is going to be so fascinating.
1: Tell me if I'm wrong out there. Well, I guess I, I'm not going to live Google, but my, my understanding is there hasn't been a new Song of Ice, Fire and Ice. What is it, Ice and Fire? I can never get this right. Um, Song of Fire and Ice book released since the TV show started, I don't think. I think that's, I think
0: that's correct.
1: So I think that's what, maybe that's what Martin means when he says I couldn't have seen this happening. Something mm-hmm. has happened with Winds of Winter that was beyond his realm of understanding how this was going to play out. Yeah. I mean, I think you know we're getting this Tolkien biopic. Whenever we get the George R. R. Martin big biography, that's the chapter I think everyone's going to be most interested. What has mm-hmm. happened?
0: Right? Why did it take over something? the last
1: three years? Because I've, I've gone back and forth with my Martin thing of like, oh, it's it's too bad, like. What a weird decision to allow the thing to be adapted before it's done, mm-hmm. and then, then all the way to, oh George, that was a huge mistake, <laughs> and all the way now back to super empathy for Martin. I, yeah. I'm I'm firmly in the camp of I think it's, oh, oh oh no so, something yeah this isn't just I don't know what what's the worst case inter like laziness it's not that something has happened with his writing or mental health or something else like maybe the tv show has made it hard for him to write i don't know but clearly something has happened to his process and it is mm-hmm. off the rails and he's dealing with this other runaway train like there's there, there's a four there's a switch and two trains and his is on the side of the road in a heap of smoke and the other one is just this runaway cultural maybe the last you know live tv watching experience that people care about that's not sports you know that that's yeah. interesting to think about too um but it was really brought home to me again it's like how strange and unprecedented at least to my knowledge in the history of literate pop literature and literature writ large this kind of a situation really is
0: mm-hmm. it's so it's super weird i think it's brave like i do yeah. think that he's in a spot he didn't like as he says like he didn't foresee that this was a possibility and mm-hmm. Someday we'll know how that all shook out. But I'm and I also acknowledge like he's contractually obligated I'm sure to roll on with this like this TV show is happening But yes. I think it's really brave to continue doing it because one option would be to maybe try to find his way out of having to write the last two books and, yeah. and put out different like competing versions of a story. It's a big risk. Um, I respect taking it, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens.
1: It's also not impossible to imagine that his ego w- could have... I could see this happening. I think we've seen this happen before where people mm-hmm. throw the adaptation of their work under the bus. Yeah. He could have done that mm-hmm. um, as a way of protecting his work as the canonical source of truth, but he didn't. Yeah. He, you know, right. he hasn't said this. They, they've made mistakes. It's terrible. This is not what I envisioned. Either, either because that's true, or because he just doesn't. That's he seems like he seems to me like a thoughtful, interesting guy. I don't mm-hmm. think he would do that writ large. But you could see a version of this play out where he understands the thing he's getting away from him in one way of undermining this Game of Thrones version is to say it's garbage,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and my, this is not the story. My story is the real story, and he hasn't said that. He hasn't said that my books are the story, no. um, which you could reason. Even if he said that tomorrow, I'm not sure it'd be smart, but I could understand him saying it. Yeah. Uh, if he wanted to. Oof. Uh, oof. Yeah, that's a, that's a heavy, a heavy one. Where do you want to go next? We're not going to get to all of these. Um, where, where do you want to go, want to go
0: next? Let's hmm, let's talk about W. H. Smith.
1: Yeah, I threw this at you quickly. Um yes. What do you think about this? Why don't well, you take the lead on this? All
0: right. So W. H. Smith, which is big bookseller in the big bookseller UK. in the UK. Yeah. Uh, right. And weren't they the rumored buyer for um, mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble? Yes. Yes. The not a Walmart book retailer. The one
1: we didn't know about. <laughs> right. Or didn't think about. Yeah.
0: So um, they are doubling the number of women receiving bonuses this year. And it is their latest move towards having no, or la- latest move towards achieving no gender pay gap. Um, this is the second year running. Um, the median gender pay gap between middle ranking men and middle- ranking women in the WH Smith group in the UK as a whole is zero percent mm-hmm. for the for this, this is again the second year it's better than the UK national average of 17.9 mm-hmm. um, percent this is not a thing that you can achieve accidentally it nope. takes a lot of attention and a lot of working to counteract unconscious bias um, to make sure that you're paying men and women fairly, um, and not just base salaries, but also bonuses, and WH Smith seems to be doing that. Um, I couldn't find any overall information about just the world of publishing and uh, gender Mm -hmm. pay gaps in the UK, but this did send me back to the publisher's weekly salary survey that's published um, about people who work in publishing in the US. Um, The one for 2018 came out. In November of last year. So the data are just a few months old. Um, But there are noticeable compensation gaps between men and women um, in sort of all the categories, all the job functions that um, the Publishers Weekly survey breaks out in the US. Um, And that's across the industry. So it would have to be, in order for the numbers in Publishers Mm -hmm. Weekly to look different. All the publishers would have or many of the publishers would have to start making big moves to systematically ensure uh, pay parity between men and women. Um, And not to say anything of the presumed gaps that are even larger between like cishet men and trans women Mm -hmm. or trans black women. Um, There are just no data about that included in the PW study. They didn't uh, get that specific um, to... Uh, Gender identity. So, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, like, I would like to see more of this. Like, obviously, hats off to WH Smith for paying attention to this and taking steps to close that gap.
1: Do you understand from this article how they did this?
0: Uh, I think they raised, well, they're giving more bonuses to women. And I think I assumed. They are not specifics from this article, yeah, so I'm assuming that's, that's it the means fuzzy
1: part for me. Yeah, I mean,
0: I would assume the way that like, so I kind of imagined backwards. Like, we use a um, sort of we use a systematic model for how we pay people mm-hmm. at Book Riot, so that we don't run into an issue with this. And so I assume that they must have done something like that, like some sort of internal. I'm guessing it was like an internal study that revealed where they were, and then right. would have had to give a bunch of women. Raises and bonuses to bring them up to the same level as where the men were being paid.
1: Yeah, because I I guess here's the fundamental Maybe I was a deleting question because they say the difference in (laughs) this This is what they mean by there's no median gender pay gap is that the middle-ranking man and the middle-ranking woman Got paid the same thing, right? That's okay that I understand but then they say that 65% of the workforce is women Mm -hmm. but women only make up 27% of senior management and so I assume that those, there would, the imbalance comes from more men being at the top, even though there's more women writ large. So, how can it be mm. that the middle ranking man and the middle ranking woman got paid the same thing if there are more men, if there are disp- way more disproportionately men at the top? I guess, I guess it could be that you have a, a bubble of women towards the middle of the curve that out that mm-hmm. earn the men. Like the other men are at the bottom of the pay scale and, and lower ranking jobs. There's just something I don't understand about that. Um, I believe them when they say this, but it's not clear to me. Yeah. How is it that you have more, so many more men in the senior higher paying jobs, presumably, and yet the median man and the median woman effectively are the and, same?
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if middle ranking here is a reference to median like to being in the oh, middle of the, middle. the data rather than middle ranking in terms of oh, corporate so hierarchy. so it's not
1: weighted necessarily. Yeah, I'm right. not sh- okay. I'm not
0: sure though. Like I I don't know. If you happen okay. if you're listening to this and you happen to know more about this or for making be, some huge statistical right, mistake which is super does, possible. Yeah, totally. Um I feel like there's a lot of information about this that I would like Mm -hmm. to have. And maybe the most interesting thing about this is that all employers with more than 250 staff are required by law to report their gender pay gaps under the Equality Act 2010 regulations for 2017, which is that that's a thing we should have.
1: (laughs) If we don't, I should find it. If the U.S. does this, because I haven't this to my knowledge, this doesn't exist in the U.S. Right? Yeah, we don't don't have more than two hundred and fifty staff, so we don't know about
0: it. Um, But just just a structure that requires corporations to Mm -hmm. not only pay attention to this but to report it. Um, I I wonder, like, are there consequences if it? Is yeah. If the gap is big enough, um,
1: embarrassment alone might right. be enough for some. I mean, seriously, what's right. getting measured with its spotlighting thing, some, right? Yeah, that, definitely, um,
0: really, really interesting. But yeah, I'd love to know more about how it happened. I'd like to still take my hat off to W. H. Smith for getting there. Closing a gap and eliminating a gap are meaningfully different things. Closing it is um, narrowing is important, but to get to zero percent difference mm-hmm. is extremely exciting. Um, Definitely. So I hope it's not a trick of words.
1: <laughs> no. I, I, and again, statistics, you know, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. Right. That's the, the best of all Twain quotes. I think that's actually a Twain quote. No one is, is mis- <laughs> as mis as, as Mark Twain, um, said Samuel Clemens. Um, but uh, that's a would be one that I just, there was something my brain wasn't catching up. I think your explanation makes sense, As they put all the women on one ledger and all the men, and there isn't a category for non or other or whatever. That's worth saying out loud, too, here. Um, that don 't identify as one, or the other or both, but you, you rank order the people by salary, and the one if there's 100, if there 's a hundred women and two hundred men or vice versa, the middle person gets paid the same on both sheets. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. You can still have more men in senior leadership positions than women, and that can still be the case um, I think if my on the fly. Statistical brain is working. Yeah,
0: for. I'm just going to guess that that's what they mean here. Because yeah. when you do sort of simplified explanations of statistics for people who don't recognize media, and you say, well, mm-hmm. if you list out all of them, it's the one that's right in the middle.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, right. So I'm
0: just going to hope Fair. that that's, that's Thank you. We're going Thank here. you for
1: straightening me out that. Let's do another sponsor. And then we got sort of a, we'll do a quick, we'll go quick hits at the end here. Yeah. The great courses, though, is not a quick hit. It is, they are in depth digital video courses from top experts who are not only extremely knowledgeable, but also passionate about their subjects with the great courses. You get to keep these digital video series forever. Watch them anytime, anywhere. Wouldn't it be cool if one of your favorite classes you sort of had on video or like on Mm -hmm. audio that you could like go back and revisit over time. That's what the great courses is. Here's one we recommend classic novels, meeting the challenge of great literature, exclusively available through the great courses over the course of 36 lectures. Brown University professor Arnold Weinstein looks at the incredible classic works people like Tolstoy, Proust, Bronte. Yeah, I don't have to tell you what classic works are. You know. And many others. Moving beyond just plot, synopsis, and historic facts to explore what makes these works brilliant. I don't know. Look, one thing that courses did for me over history is helped me get into something that I'm too worried about doing on my own. One of those would be Tolstoy. You Maybe you've heard of War and Peace, Maybe you've even wanted to read War and Peace, but then you looked at the page count of War and Peace and you're like, uh, maybe I'll go read 12 other books instead of that particular one. But with a course like this, it gives you a little foothold, something to hold on to, to get you through slogging away at the pages, even, even to give you the confidence to sort of tackle one of those things. What is the big deal about remembrance of things past? What's the big deal about War and Peace? The Great Courses Plus is giving our Book Riot listeners an exclusive limited-time offer. Order classic novels, meeting the challenge of great literature, get 85% off. That's right. That's not a mistake. 85% off the regular price. That's more than $250 in savings, only available for a limited time and only going to thegreatcourses.com slash bookriot. That's thegreatcourses.com slash bookriot. Thanks to them for sponsoring this show why don't you pick one i Mm. pick one
0: all right i am gonna go with i think this is gonna turn out to be really interesting news in the in the long run Mm. it's it's interesting today but it's gonna be interesting over the next year or so um arthur a levine who is a very well-known scholastic editor most famously the editor who brought jk rowling and harry potter to the u.s is leaving as of march 30th to start an independent publishing company um he has been with Scholastic after for 23 years and has worked on many wonderful books um, and his new list will center on quote diversity, ideally with a mix of 75% minority creators including people of color, indigenous people and LGBTQ individuals also focused on highly on high quality bookmaking and many of the things that Arthur A. Levine Books has been known for. He's planning to launch in the fall of 2020 with a debut list of 20 US titles and 5 of what he describes as the world's best books in translation Um, that means this has been in the works for a while Mm -hmm. Um, it's already March of 2020 2019, and if you're going to be putting books out by fall of 2020, there are uh, there's some levers already being thrown. Um, his backlist has more than 300 titles for young mm. readers from authors like Emma Donahue, Elia Don Johnson, Mike Young, A.S. King, Bill Konigsberg, Jacqueline Moriarty, Daniel Jose Older, uh, Francisco X, Marcus Zuzak. That's the book thief, y'all. Mm. Um, lots of big stuff there. And this uh, this is going to be interesting. It's a big deal for someone with this kind of reputation to leave a big publisher after such an illustrious career. And I don't think it's an accident that we're seeing that the things he wants to focus on, um, diversity, minority creators, people of color, LGBTQ people, and indigenous people, um, that's not only a big conversation in publishing right now, and certainly an area of the market to be that there's a ton of room to be served and a lot Mm. of readers waiting to see themselves those pages. But if you're in publishing, um, you may have heard, like I have heard, rumblings about um, some sort of occasional, maybe more than occasional issues within Scholastic to get diverse titles published. Um, and maybe some issues toward the top of the chain there about really understanding what's going on um, with things like we need diverse books and with the move toward greater inclusivity in publishing. And I'm just gonna read some things between the lines here that may or may not be there, but I'm reading them in um, that you've got something Um, interesting and compelling, a compelling enough reason to leave after a career. Yeah, I was going
1: to say if he could do what he wants to do within Scholastic, it doesn't sound like he'd be leaving. It sounds like the reason to leave is to do this thing. Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying. You can kind of reverse engineer Mm -hmm. what the motivation is. Maybe. I mean, it could be that you want to be in, sometimes you want to be in charge of your own thing and focus on one thing. I don't know. Um, But I think it's very interesting to see this happen. One of the, We've seen some imprints dedicated at some of the big publishers to more diverse representation, mm-hmm. focusing on marginalized um, voices. This is the first one I've seen where you have a real senior publisher at a big publisher break off and start something with the express intent of, diverse, yeah. of a diverse title list as like the number one bullet point on the press release, so to speak. Um, to, my, to my knowledge, that hasn't happened so I think I think it is. I think you're right to say this is a thing that's going to be a thing, um, and super interested to see what comes of it.
0: Me too. Where do you want to go?
1: I want to pick up something that might become a thing, but it's also just fun. Is the book bot? Um, <laughs> I so, like this one. So this is in Mountain View, um, California, where is you know the heart of Silicon Valley. Residents in downtown Mountain View have gotten their first peek at the future of. Of the future with the debut of BookBot, the library's newest non-human helper. It's a Google joint, um, this experimental division of, of Google. It's called Area 120, and it is a personally de- a personal delivery robot that will come pick up your books and return them to the library. Test. It's electric. It's autonomous. It's a test program. It only runs on Thursdays, um, which is interesting, from like 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. The first six months, we'll have a human following it around to make sure it you know, <laughs> doesn't do anything untoward. But they're trying to figure out, can, does this work? Um, I, I, I've read several books now about the future of autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles. And I've come to the agreement that I think people... I, I've come to be convinced that the future of autonomous and electric vehicles are not what we think or not what we actually think it's going to be in terms of mm. you will just get picked up in an autonomous Toyota Corolla to go to the airport and then back. I think you're going to see all sorts of non-standard transportation uses like this to do things that we don't think about now. I mean, I joke about my scooter, my electric scooter that I really like. <laughs> electric is magic, autonomous is magic, and when you put them together, you can do all sorts of weird stuff. Like, it's, it looks, this thing looks like, tell me if I'm wrong, it looks like a... Um, you know, a, a tailgate cooler it on does. wheels that's what it is and a little flag it does
0: it. it reminded me um a couple months ago i watched the series maniac on netflix which yes. is like slightly yes, yeah futuristic and it has that little bot that rolls around on the sidewalks cleaning up dog poop <laughs> and like spray <laughs> and spraying it, disinfectant after it cleans mm-hmm. up the dog poop and i was like oh wow they weren't far off like except this no. is collecting your library books i think it's interesting and fun and i'm excited to see more of this stuff too yeah and
1: it's, it makes sense like they say you know people don't return books on time for a variety of reasons one of the reasons is you, it's hard to get to the library maybe an accessibility issue mm-hmm. maybe you're a kid um you can schedule it again it's now backed up because people want to try it but right. and it has only a limited area it's a trial so don't get too like i i always want to say but well, what if they had this all over the place but this is like it's within a certain circumference of the library you have to schedule it ahead a time it can carry up to 10 mm-hmm. books right now um but it's the kind of thing that's like, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. But, then you could, but then you just think about like little autonomous boxes moving around could do all sorts of stuff. Right. right. It's not, I, mean, <laughs> I was thinking
0: like, oh, that bag of books that's been in the back of my car for three weeks because I'm yes. too, I just keep forgetting dry to go clean? to Goodwill. <laughs>
1: right. I mean, they don't have to be a Toyota Corolla to come pick up your dry cleaning, your books or like deliver whatever. Um, now, put aside stuff about taking jobs from delivery people or truck drivers. That, that's a thats a whole other issue. But this is an extension of a service rather than a replacement of one mm-hmm. um, in the public sphere. I don't know. It doesn't say, does this go on sidewalks and streets? That's the other, as, a, as a scooter adherent, I do recognize that a scooter is neither really appropriate for the street or a sidewalk. Like, it's a third thing, kind of. And I, mm-hmm. once you start looking at the way American cities especially are laid out, it's either you're on your feet or... And let's be honest, so much of the real estate is given over to cars that once some of that, if some of that car terrain can be reclaimed for different kinds of transportation vehicles and systems, I think a whole array of interesting things are possible. And this is just one of them. So I I think this is really great. If you happen to be in Mountain View, please try this and email us about how delightful it is. Yes. Assuming it's delightful. We want the truth. I'd prefer it if it's great, (laughs) but I'll take it either way. We
0: hope (laughs) it's delightful. (laughs)
1: <laughs> all right. That's our show. Yeah, As always, you can find links to the sh- stories we talked about in this and all other episodes of the Book Riot Podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Um, you can email us about other stuff we've talked about. What Do we, do we have takeaways? Oh, Game of Thrones fans. Since neither Rebecca nor are Game of Thrones yes. people, um, we would really like to hear what the um, Vox Populi is thinking, feeling, joys and concerns mm-hmm about this unusual, unprecedented narrative fissure that's occurring in the realm of song of uh, ice yeah. and fire, fire and ice. I've never, it's one of those things now I'm never going to, it's like I don't know how to spell inconvenient because I got it wrong and then I try to remember, it's like, is the way I think of it wrong or is the way, I, is the way, do I know how to, f- it's right, I can't spell inconvenient uh, also, to save my life. Uh,
0: what are we missing about used book selling yeah, on definitely. The new pricing policy? Yeah,
1: is this, is this as good for people, for third-party sellers as it feels like it is? I guess is especially what I'd like to know. And that's it. Rebecca, we'll talk to you next week.
0: Yeah. Have a good one.